And what I envisioned was, you know, with molestation, it's just like a person having gotten arrested, gotten convicted, taken to jail, and they know this particular crime that I'm locked up for, I didn't do it. I am Renee Greer. I'm a psychotherapist in Texas, and I have a private practice that I run where I focus with men and women, uh, and, and mainly uh, relationships. And I'm also pursuing my PhD. I'm in the dissertation phase where I am studying uh, relationships in the Black community. And today, I thought it would be beneficial to let uh, the listeners hear when a therapist and a Black man talk about molestation, uh, what would that sound like? So today we will be talking to Mr. Marlon May, and uh, we're just going to lay this thing out and let it organically uh, kind of unfold. So Marlon May, who are you? And uh, what is this this topic? What does it mean to you? Uh, so thanks, Renee. First of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and be a part of this discussion and conversation that I really just feel like is not really uh, had enough, especially in our community. So mm -hmm. it's huge. It means a lot to be able to come on and have, have this particular conversation. Personally, it, it's significant to me having gone through molestation as a child and not really having a comfort level at that point with anybody to be able to open up and say something about it while it was happening. Uh, and then having to wait and go through, you know, teenage years and 20s and even into my 30s, you know, up to 40 before I actually even verbally was able to talk about it with anybody. So that's, for me, is a huge red flag that if we have people in these type of situations, they really do need a, a comfort level and an outlet somewhere, even if it's not family or friends, but somebody they can feel comfortable talking to, somebody like you and what mm -hmm. you do or somebody like me and, you know, and what I do. So I like to just want to be an open door for those that may just want to say, hey, it happened and what do I do? Because there are some things in there that you just figure out as you go. And mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, that's not good. <laughs> you need a plan. You need somebody to kind of walk through some of the pieces. And so that's why it's so personal to me is, you know, sometimes you help people through things that you've read about or that you, you know, that you kind of know about. And other times you help people through things that you've experienced blow by blow. And so mm -hmm. because of that, you are a much, much more detailed type of help and influence on them because you know the day in and day out struggles of whatever that thing may be. So in this case, uh, I, I would love to have an opportunity in the platform to be able to help, especially men that have gone through this particular type of uh, abuse. Now, you actually had a series and, and, and I got a chance to catch it. And the one that still sticks out to me is, is part three of what you call Molested Man Series was entitled Behind Bars, Not Guilty. Yes. What does that mean? So I, I literally was trying to figure out how do you take a topic like this and make it relatable where people can really see what you're trying to get them or get across to them. And what I envisioned was, you know, with molestation, it's just like a person having gotten arrested, gotten convicted, taken to jail, and they know this particular crime that I'm locked up for, I didn't do it. And so there are one of two ways that you handle that when you get locked up for something that you, that you didn't do. Either you figure nobody's going to believe my story and you sit out that sentence which is what a lot of us do, uh, or you get very vocal 
and you get all the help that you can and you get people on your side that are going to fight until somebody hears you and says, hey, they don't belong behind those bars. They are not guilty. And unfortunately, when it comes to kind of making that parallel with molestation, most of us just sit the sentence out. Because, yeah, we just sit it out. You know what? I'm just going to stay right. Because if you sit it out, I'm not rocking the boat. I'm not causing trouble. I'm not putting the spotlight on me. I know I'm not guilty, but I'm just going to hang out behind these bars for something I know that I, I never did. And the thing, the dangerous part about that is after being behind bars long enough, just like in the natural, people, they get into this whole routine. Like I'm supposed to be here, even though they're not guilty. They get into the and we do the exact same thing. So that particular part three, that's what it was about. It was about making men understand you are not guilty. And even when they say, well, no, 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 I don't, don't say nothing. Don't, don't, do, no, 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 You are not guilty. Mm-hmm. And all I need is your permission and, mm-hmm. and you to help me help you so we can get you from behind these bars. And yeah, that, that's, a, that is such a sad thing to watch because you see people getting released after 30 years and you're thinking that's 30 mm-hmm. years of your life that was wasted behind, but for something that wasn't even your fault. And molestation works the same way. And I know it works that way for people across the board. I'm just saying men, because I am a man having gone through it. But for men, you know, they just, they, they, they get so hard. They don't want to talk. They don't want to open up. And as a result, you get into this routine where you just kind of live this life behind bars, hurting and in pain and, and, and suffering and needing help and needing instruction. And you just sit the sentence out. And that's never a good way to handle it long term. Never. No, I agree. And, and as a therapist, um, you know, I've seen this kind of play out in my office where, you know, what's really interesting is that usually when they come into the office, they're, they're there because a relationship failed. Yeah. Right. Something's happening. Right. And then I don't know. It just, it, it's, it, it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? it it's something's, something's happening. And so we're, we're talking about this relationship, but there's an elephant in the room. And as a therapist, I'm very intuitive. And if I feel that elephant, then I, then I have to ask about it. And, and you and I have been knowing each other for quite a while. So, you know, I will go there. I know, what is this? What am I, what is this feeling that I'm, I'm, I'm getting right now uh, between you and me? And I know we're talking about relationships, but, but what, what else, what else should we be talking about? Right. And then the man then says, there is something else. Right. And I, and I can feel the struggle. I can feel, um, that we're going into territory that has never been looked through. You know, it's happened. Um, but I've never talked about this. And so, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, here in just a few, you know, as a therapist, uh, what do you think is important if, if we have that situation where they're coming in, maybe a relationship has failed, but then here's the elephant. And, and what do we need to be as therapists to make that place safe enough for you guys to, to open up? But before I go there, I want to mention a few things that you said in your um, in your video, because you, you actually have these posted uh, the series on your Instagram page. And you said that um, this this being molested tends to lock you up in areas of your life 
and you shouldn't be locked up because you're not guilty. Um, you also mentioned that it's hard to tell yourself that, but it's also hard to tell other people that I'm not guilty. So let's start there and then maybe work to uh, why is it so challenging to tell yourself like you lock yourself up first? Like, I think that's the first lockup. That's maybe that's the first bar, mm -hmm. right? But then when we notice that as therapists, especially as for black men, uh, what do we need to be for, for those clients that come in? So I'm going to let you take it away from there. You know, when, when you were just saying that, I just recently posted a video that talks about you know, being in your longest relationship of your life. And, you know, we think, oh man, I've been knowing Renee since elementary or, you know what, I've been with my spouse for 40 years or I've been, but the longest relationship in your life is with you. It's not with anybody else. You've been with you longer than anybody else that's out there. And so with the, with the therapist piece of that, I think that's so huge that people have to understand I'm helping you deal with your longest relationship so that every other relationship is going to be okay for you. Because everything that you do in these new relationships, even if they're 30 or 40 years, they're still not as, as long as the one you with yourself. They are going to affect every single way that you date, that you mate, that you, that you talk to people, that you allow people to talk to you, what kind of things you get caught up in. Everything is stemming from the longest relationship I've ever had, which is the one with me. And unfortunately, if that has trauma in it, I know it's all kind of trauma in people's lives, but this has trauma in it, you've got to deal with that because that long-term relationship, that first one with you, affects every other relationship that you even try to get into. Even when your intentions are great, I mean, when, you're, when your motives are pure mm -hmm. and you're like, no, 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 this time I'm going to get it right. If that longest relationship with you has not been resolved and it's not being worked on, no matter how much of a good motive or a good intention and all that, you, a good mindset you have, you're going to always end up going back to that same place of well, where you're locked let me, up. Let me interject because what, what does that relationship with self looks like? Because it, for all practical purposes, it sounds pretty toxic, if you will, this relationship that one has with themselves, you know, because of this trauma. Uh, what what does that relationship look like when a man is molested? What is this relationship he has with his, himself looks look like? You, you know, you know what comes to mind is uh, Instagram. I don't ever see a bad picture on Instagram. It's, I mean, but you know, those people have horrible things going on in their life. That's right. But what's posted and what's happening That's are good. two different versions of who you are. That's and good. as a man, especially, that's it. We, we got our Instagram hellos and our Instagram, yeah, I'm good. And our Instagram, let me dap it up. And hey, man, now nah, everything's cool. That's Instagram posts. But behind the scenes, there's mm. like a hundred pictures they take before they get that one good Instagram. And that's kind of what it's like because every day when you get in the mirror, even though you, you're fooling everybody else in your life, you're looking into your own eyes in that mirror mm. and you know it exactly what is going on with you. And one of the, one of the videos that I posted was called, we've all tried something. Mm. And that's what you do every morning. You look in that mirror and you figure out what am I going to try today so that I can not have to deal with the trauma that happened with me. And guess what? One of the things you can try is 
getting out of it, getting therapy, talking to somebody. But we don't want to go that route. It's like, well, what else can I do? Maybe I'll sponsor a little league team or, you know what, maybe I'll do this or I'll pay for you, you always try to figure out some kind of way that you can numb what you know is really going on. And well, let me ask you this then, because it sounds like what you're saying is there's this constant um, attempt to get away from thine self, if you will. Uh, because you said, you know, you wake up and you look in the mirror um, and, and you hadn't put on your Instagram face just yet. <laughs> the real right I, 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 this is what's what, what the true reality of it is um and how do i get away from this person because this is not who i want to display in 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 my life i don't want people to see this person who has experienced the trauma right who, who's very disconnected from from self who probably doesn't even like self or, or, or see um, or feels safe with self, or even trust self, right? Um, so I got to get away from this this guy. Like, how do I get away? And, and and so what you're saying with this Instagram situation is is that at least let me try that. Let me try to put my best foot forward so I can cover this up. But I think you'd agree um, that you could you could do all that you can. You could do all the things. But and, and you and you know my, my favorite my favorite quote is but at eleven fifty nine right that's when all of that's taken off like eleven fifty nine is like the darkest times of the day and you don't have to put your best foot forward anymore because no one's around but you and your reality it's eleven fifty nine and everything that you created. Everything that you felt like you had to put on, every suit or or uh, th this this way of speaking, so that people wouldn't wouldn't see the boy that's so hurt in the mirror. See, eleven fifty nine is a reality, and you can't escape it. You can dress it up all you want to, but when nobody else is around, that's what you're left with. So, but for you, you're saying it's quite like this social media life that there is a there is a little boy that's hurt in there there you go there you try go. all the things to make sure that i escape him and that the world never discovers him yeah see well i well, what we have what we know is if we don't like a person we can ignore that person and eventually that person will get the message and they'll stop trying to interact with us but you can't ignore you, and we, we not, you, can't, you can't. You can do that, everybody. Well, they, they'll get they'll get the message, if you, and we figure that you know what? If I just keep on going this direction, and not eventually that old part is just going to fall off. I'll I'll get enough. I'll get more years in front of me than what I had, you know, in the trauma, and I'm gonna be okay. And that's not the way that it works. You can't ignore you. It, it it's going to remain there as a part. Now, do we get better over time? Do we learn things over time? Absolutely. But one of the issues with that, uh, I went to a doctor's appointment and the doctor said when he looked at my um, my skeletal, you know, um, x-ray, he said, you're all out of alignment. And he was like, so I don't understand how you're even operating with the way that wow. you are out of alignment. And 
when he watched me, he put me on a little treadmill deal and I had to walk on the treadmill. And he said, I see what it is. He said, you have compensated for mm. the pain that you have in your feet. Because that's what, that's what the issue was. I had uh, plantar fasciitis in my feet. And instead of me going and saying, hey, I'm in so much pain, what's going on with my feet? I learned to compensate and walk differently than what I would normally walk just mm. so that I could accommodate the pain. And the plus side to that is, hey, I can go right on living life. I don't have to go talk to no doctor or figure anything out. The downside to that, though, is he could look at everything internally and say internally it's screaming that something is wrong, even though externally you've learned how to do this, this walk. And I think we do that exact same thing with ourselves. And it was funny because he, he took me to my, my shoes. If you look at the heel of my shoes, they were slanted because I walk in a certain way. <laughs> to compensate for that pain and we do that every single day of our lives when we have trauma if you're not dealing with it you learn how to walk with it you learn how to make the best of it you learn how to smile through it you learn how to make sure that everybody else does not know and feel what you know and feel about you so you do all this extra stuff so that everybody else will like you and love you and talk great to you because you figure that that builds me up and makes me feel better but like you said 1159 in the mirror you go right back to that same person that says, oh, I'm still right here. I'm still here. I'm, I'm still right here. Yeah, that was you, you did real good today. I mean, everybody bought that story today, but I'm still right here. I'm still here. Yeah. Well, oh, I love that. Um, walk in a certain way to compensate. That's it. Compensate for the pain. That's it. So my feet hurt so bad, but I learned how to walk different. And that's the craziest thing. Go to the doctor and say, my feet hurt, you know, but, but I, I just learned how to, uh, yeah, I, I can maneuver it. I can get through it. I can make it. Yeah. Well, that, that takes me and, and we still, I want to, and I'll, maybe I'll leave that towards the end, you know, what we uh, as therapists could do, but I think this is so dynamic where we are right now. So I don't want to really break this up, but uh, what you're saying reminds me of something, something else that you said. You said that uh, you have to accept the not guilty verdict. So, that in essence is acknowledging the pain, right? That you're out of alignment, that the pain hadn't gone anywhere. You've just been compensating for it. There you go. And we are at this point now to where the doctor says, right? You're out of alignment. You're, you're still in pain. Mm -hmm. Had went anywhere. And if, if we take this back to what you were saying, again, that for me equates you kind of being the doctor and, and admitting to yourself <laughs> that I love you, right? Uh, I've tried all the things, but you're out of alignment. And it's time to accept finally the not guilty verdict yes now if we talk about that what what did that look like for you when you finally realized that i'm overcompensating right um there's pain i've done all the things but but i'm finally i'm willing to accept that i was never guilty and that i am in pain and i thought the pain had, had went away um, but it hadn't gone anywhere. As a matter of fact, it's, it's followed me. I've walked with the pain. 
Uh, what did that look like for, for you, maybe from that point to where you said you had to tell yourself that I finally am ready to accept this not guilty verdict personally, if you don't mind sharing, what did, what was that like for you? So I was, I was dating um, a young lady and her mother and I ended up sitting down and having a conversation. And she thanked me because she said, my daughter is so different and she's so much better since she's been with you. And she said, I don't know if you know it or not. And she gave me the backstory that her daughter had been molested and all the traumatic things and the way that she acted out and all the things she had had. And she said, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I wasn't really sure. She said, but since you showed up, like she's grounded and she's, you know, she's more focused. And I just wanted to thank you for your influence in her life and how you're helping her. And, and it was in that moment that she started to talk about the fact that she was trying to make sure her daughter understood the not guilty piece of it, that, Hey, this had, this was, this was done to you. It was a crime against you. It's not anything that you could have done differently or anything that that's a reason that you can check off on your checklist to say, it's my fault that this happened. And it was in her talking to me about her daughter that I, she didn't realize she was actually talking to me, wow. you know, and I felt safe for the first time to actually say something. Cause here's the thing. I'm already serving a sentence, you know, and when you are ready to finally maybe talk about it with somebody, what you don't want is for them to add on to the sentence that you're already serving. Mm. And sometimes, you know, what that looks like and feels like and sounds like is you share it and they don't know how to handle it or they go berserk or they call in four or five family members. Did you, do you mm -hmm. believe it's like, whoa, 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 you right now you're adding to the sentence. I'm already serving. Mm -hmm. I just need somebody. And in that moment, when she was talking to me, I felt like if I release it, I had never felt that before. If I release it to her and I told her and she just was like, wait, what? You know? And I said, I don't know. Maybe that's the connection that we have, the daughter and I, or whatever it is. Cause we hadn't talked about it. Her daughter and I had not talked about it, but I felt comfortable. And I explained to her what had happened, you know, and that it had happened for eight years of my childhood and all of that. And she said, the first thing she said to me was, what did your mother say? And I said, oh, I've, you're the first person I've ever told. And she just weeped because she was like, there's no way that you should have been carrying this by yourself for all. She said, because I'm thinking about my daughter and I knew about hers and I was helping her through hers. And she still was, you know, go had craziness going on. So I cannot even imagine what it must have been like for you to carry this. And you haven't told it. And she didn't add to my sentence at all. She didn't. And I love that. I mean, she loved on me and she, it was exactly what I needed to be comfortable mm -hmm. to start telling. And ever since then, I've kind of opened up more and more and more to tell the story. But that was, that was a game changer for me that she began to talk about trying to make sure her daughter understood the not guilty verdict so that she could finally be free. And she was freeing me in that process, which was so, and, and it's like, it's like the weight of the world comes off your show. Cause I finally said, it. you know, they tell you if you're an alcoholic, the hardest thing is to say, Hey, I'm an alcoholic, you know, or if you uh, are a sex addict or are you into pornography, the hardest thing is the admission piece of it. Mm -hmm. And so for me to admit to her and say, I was molested, 
you know, that was, it, it was like, now I feel like, well, I just say it. But that day, <laughs> it, was time. Listen, it was like, oh my, like, like I'm actually about to say this to somebody for the first time, you know, and, and, and it was me agreeing with her that finally for the first time I'm agreeing, I'm not even guilty of this. Yeah. So, so now it's time to build my legal team to help me start getting the evidence together to prove not to everybody else, but to help prove to me, Hey, we're going to get you, we're going to get you from behind these bars. You've been back here too long for something that you didn't even a crime. You didn't commit in the first place. So that's huge. It's huge. It was huge for me to be able, and I know everybody's story is a little bit different, but mm -hmm. oh, such a huge and, and, and such a rewarding moment for me. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What was available for you in that moment? And I guess this is me kind of going back to what we therapists need to to be. But what was she in that moment for you, if you can remember that? Because that's a huge risk, right? If for one, it's your girlfriend's mother, not yours. Yes. Uh, for all practical purposes, I mean, you're about to go way deep. So she's something like a stranger when it comes to your vulnerabilities. You're, you're being so intimate, you know, being re and so revealing. Uh, just a few things. What do you think she was for you in that moment that made it safe enough for you to finally speak out and say something? So one of the, one of the video, I think it was part one of the, of the series, um, it, it was titled um, From Hidden and Hushed to Visual and Vocal. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, she opened up a door for me to finally be visual and vocal because I wanted to be hidden and I wanted to be hushed. I didn't want to talk about it. I don't want you to see me. I want you to just see what I put out there, you know, but she opened up that door that day, just, and it was and just in the conversation. And it was because I saw how concerned she was for her daughter that I felt like she would show that same concern to me. I, I, I saw it firsthand that, oh my goodness, this is somebody you may be able to. And even in that moment, maybe I was, she you know, was saying, not, don't she say nothing. Passion, maybe? Is Absolutely. That Absolutely. Lots of compassion. And, and, and she was that type of mom that, and to this day, she and I are still friends. Uh, she's that kind of mom that just, she just loves her kids and whatever I can do, I will do. You know, my mom's the same way, but it was, I just wasn't ready to have that conversation, you know, and I felt like for the first time, I was like, okay. And I think when I identified the fact that she had a child that had gone through what I had gone through, I felt like she would understand it better than okay. trying to talk to my mom or my grandmother, or one of my, because I'm like, mm, they're going to go all in the field. I, but I love the fact, I mean, I didn't love the fact that her daughter went through, but I love the fact that she had some firsthand knowledge. Okay. And she had talked to me about some things that she already was working on with her daughter. And I was like, this is the person that you can tell this is a person you can finally open and even in that moment there's still a wrestling that well what if she does this or what if she says that or what if she and it, all that i fought through all of that to say i'm really glad we had this conversation because yeah and when i said it she was just stone-faced you know not not because she was in shock it was just like oh my goodness like what did your mom think about that you know, mm -hmm. and when she found out that nobody had known before, it's like she became like this surrogate, you know, like, come here, you know, I need to love on you for all that time that you've not had anybody to hear and a shoulder to cry on. And, and you know, mm -hmm. in those moments, as all of that weight is coming off of you, I, I mean, you, you don't know what to do. It, it all just kind of wheels up at one time. So it's like, well, I don't want to be in here in a, in a pump of tears. You know? They're going to be like, what'd you do to him? You know, 
But at the same time, I felt so good to finally have had the conversation for a release that it was just like, listen, and she didn't mind one bit. She just held me. She didn't try to convince me of anything. She didn't try to, she said, you got to tell your mom eventually, but she didn't force any of that. I mean, she was just there as a listening ear and she helped me to, to handle that mm-hmm. moment, you know, and she unpacked it with me so carefully and so neatly and so lovingly that it, it really, it, it was a great first experience. I had that story told some other times it didn't go that way, you know, but <laughs> I was glad that that first time through, she was able to walk me through some really practical things. And, and again, that's not even, the, the, the journey's not even over. That's just the beginning of it. But at least the starting line, you know, where I got on my mark, get set, ready to start running this race towards some type of normalcy or some type of freedom uh, mentally. It was such she gave me such a great starting position. I was so, so, so grateful to her. And I mentioned her in the video and I actually had had sent a copy of the video to her. And she said, I'm I'm just still so happy that I was able to help you that day. You know, (laughs) she feels like I'm not a hero. I'm I'm like, no, you are my hero because you gave me a moment that that I just had never felt comfortable uh, in before. And I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of people that would have done the same, but mm-hmm. I didn't feel the connection in that moment like I did with her to finally get that ball started. Well, so it sounds like you've kind of answered the question as therapists, we need, we need to be compassionate because it sounds like that's what she offered. Also relatable, right there. You guys connected on an experience, although the experience was not hers, but her, her experience, but she was very much so uh, in an experience with her daughter. And, and, and it sounds like that in and of itself um, also maybe created some type of safety. Um, not just non-judgmental. It sounds like you felt like she had no judgment at all. This was a, a judgment-free zone. Uh, but then also, the number one that I, I think I heard is that she somehow knew how to curate this, this space. Yes. Because you guys unpacked some things. And it sounds like she was a great listener uh, and all the other things that I've kind of went through. She just naturally had that, which shows that sometimes you don't necessarily need a therapist. um, But sometimes what you need is just that person who will will create that space, who can um, have maybe there's a story that that, that's relatable. Right. They can be compassionate and they're non-judgmental. Right. And, and they know how to unpack these stories. And, and so uh, but but even though she was not a therapist, I think what you're doing, though, for any therapist that's listening that that want to help me in who've been in this situation, um, how to, to show up for them when you guys walk into the office. I want to go back to some of the things, uh, more things that you said. Um, you said that. Um, we must speak out to be free. And I think maybe what you were just talking about kind of is evidence that there was a bit of freedom in that when you finally were able, even though all these things were happening, these all these things were feelings and emotions and you could feel yourself going, don't do it. But there was a bigger part that said, I want to be free because I'm not guilty. Right. I want to be free. Um, some other things that I, I, I notated was um, you you went, well, this was a question I had, and I guess maybe you've already answered, answered it, but when I heard you say you got to speak out to be free, um, you said this was a starting point, point for you, just talking to her. 
But what are some of those other things that you had to to do in your personal life to to continue uh, the journey of, of getting free? So the the biggest piece is understanding that every day you do something to kind of help with where you are. So for me, you know, I was raised in the church. And so a lot of it, I started to kind of look, you know, for scriptures or, or spiritual, you know, guidance and things like that. Uh, eventually, I did have a conversation at church. Uh, so and, and then I, I went on uh, a little bit later on to have a conversation with my mom, my brother, my sister. Um, and then I went on to make the videos, which are posted on, you know, all social media outlets. So it's, it's a work in, in progress, you know, that you kind of start with that initial person, because what I what I found was. It's not a question of, can I talk? The question was always, can I talk to you? Mm. And so most time the person in front of me, I was like, oh, I can talk about it. I can't talk about it to you though. And it's no, you know, it's, it's not that that person did anything bad or anything. It was just, I know I don't feel any, I don't feel comfort, a comfort level to mm. talk to you. And so for me and, and for people in general, it's, it's not a matter of, can you talk? I know you can talk. I know you can, I, and you want it. You want to, in most cases, it's just, you haven't found that person yet that you can say, okay, can I talk to you? And mm -hmm. that's what the therapist that, and, and even like people like myself that have gone through it, you want somebody that you understand is going to hear you out, let you speak, let you get all of these things out. And then they're going to push you on your way to say, okay, so not necessarily tell you what to do, ask you. So tell me, what's your next step? What you, what are you planning to do now? Because sometimes I don't, I know I've got all these ideas. You know how when you're in prison, you dream about how to break out of it. You know, That's if I right. kill if I go through this bar, and when the guards are asleep, I'm gonna do. You you think about ways to break out all the time. You just haven't done it successfully. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens. You know, you're thinking all the time, man, I'm gonna do this, and I can do that, and I can do. So it's just them giving you this opportunity to get the ball started and then ask you. So you tell me what you need. What you need. Yeah. It's, it's so dangerous to think up front. Oh, well, let me tell you, here's what you got to do first. Here's step two. Here's step three. Because what that says is there's a blanket set of rules on how to get there. You know, if, if I'm trying to get downtown Dallas and I ask five different people, they'll give me five different ways, mm -hmm. which just confuses me, you know, but so there's, there's a method. So you ask me, well, wh which way, to, which way are you trying to go? You want to go highway? Do you want to go? And then based on what I need and what I want and what my, what my desires are, you can give me information that relates to that. So that's really kind of what she did is kind of asking questions like, what are you thinking? What, what do you need to do next? And, and even though she said, have a conversation with your mom, she never pushed it. She never forced it. She never said, have you talked to her? Nothing. It was just always wanting to check and see, are you good? Are you okay? How's things going? And like mm -hmm. I said, to this day, we still are the best of friends. It, it, but but it's, it's, it's not a overnight journey. And I think that's a huge piece that needs to be stated because people feel, oh, I said it now. I'm good to go. No. How, long, how long would you say you've been on your journey? So I am 45. I didn't even get to the conversation with my mother until I was 40. My mother, my sister, my brother, until I was 40. Uh, now, my thing is, and, and I had this conversation with her, I was much younger, you know, when I, when I had that first piece. Um, I went on to do the part, at, you know, where I had a, a small conversation at church, things like that. But yeah, so we're, we're talking about from the time that I was nine or 10, um, all the way up until I was uh, about to be a senior in high school before mm -hmm. everything stopped. I remember the day it started. I remember the day it stopped. And then from, from that teenage 
18 going all the way up to now 45 every day and every you know week and year it's it's something that you have to you have to go through one of the things that i that i posted was that you know it's very important that we understand we live our life in moments yes there are years and all that and decades but each of those there are moments and what we don't want to do and what what helped me was don't dwell on a moment. Don't let a moment remain there longer than what it should. So you've got to figure out, I'm having a moment right now, mentally, physically, financially, whatever it is. How do I handle what's happening and what's going on with me in this moment? In this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That way tomorrow and next week and next month, I'm not still stuck in that same moment. You know, we've moved on. The dates have changed. The time has changed. The seasons have changed. And I'm still stuck in that same moment. And that's mm-hmm. what happens with molestation. You could be 27. And still be stuck in age eight where you were getting molested, or you can be fifty-six wow. and Wait still be stuck. I think we gotta, we yeah. gotta. It, it, it's a moment. Yeah, it's a, yeah. And so now it's like you don't discard it, you don't get rid of it, you don't say, "Oh, it's not significant." Oh, it's very significant, right? But it was a moment, there were a lot of moments, like eight years worth of moments. But it was a moment, and then I had to figure out once I started my journey, how long are you gonna stay stuck? Right. I want to I want to stop you there because you you, you said something um, kind of stand up at that age when it actually happened. And, and, and it's something that does happen. Um, if you hadn't been able to tell yourself sticking with your your thing that that you didn't do anything wrong, you're not guilty. I think until you admit that then you, you kind of still walk life out as if you're guilty, right? And you and you 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 still um you know kind of living out this sentence like you have to stay locked up. And the reason the reason I'm saying this and the reason I think it hits so hard is because I also was molested. And I think that as we have this conversation, um Locked up for me meant like not having that voice. Yes. To say, this is how I feel. And and I'll tell you why. You let me know if you had this experience, but it was kind of like, well, if I tell, then my mom will be hurt or my dad will be hurt or my grandma will be hurt. And so... So then I better not say anything, right? And that for me is kind of part of that that being locked up, right? And then not only did it show up in that, those relationships, but just all relationships. I I would find that even with homegirls or or romantic relationships, I still did not feel like I could say, this is how I feel though. And, And actually felt like someone gave a damn. You know, like if so, that was the other thing. Not only was I overly concerned with how other people would feel, but what if they didn't give a damn? Like, what if I told them and they didn't care? Or what if I told them and they blamed it on me? Or and so now I I think what we're talking about is safety. Like, there you go. Me, let me. Maybe you'll agree, but so this is the. It's it's kind of this this stand locked up because. I don't know, like, if I tried to get out, I don't know if it would be safe for me, right? And so that's kind of the way I would say I stayed locked up. And it is kind of this idea where you have to eventually get to a place 
where going back to what you said earlier, you look in the mirror and you say, I'm not, I'm no longer doing all the things because frankly, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing all the things. And, and the other part for me was I want to have a voice. I want people to know that I also feel. I have all these feelings, but I, I noticed that I just continued to kind of walk life out. Like you said, I, and I wanted something, but I was not aligned for it. Yes. I wanted compassion. I wanted care. I wanted someone to take care of me finally turn to me and say, I see you and I care for you. And I'm so sorry that happened. But because I, you know, I didn't see that safety, right? But then also I don't want to hurt other people. And so for me, that's kind of what that being locked up looked like. And, and I think that I did kind of stay in the mindset of the six-year-old. You know, as far as how I take care of myself emotionally. The six-year-old said, lock it up, throw away the key. Never express how you feel. Mm -hmm. And so as the six-year-old became a seven-year-old and the seven-year-old became the 20-year-old and the 20-year-old became the 30-year-old, right? I still carry that same idea that it's not safe to tell people how you truly feel. Because what if they don't care? What if, what if, and, and more than that, I think there's these messages that we get, right? Um, from these experiences. And one of those messages, I think for me was, um, you're not worthy. Yes. You're not, you're not worthy of someone turning to you and, and caring. And so not only was it all those other things that I said, but that was kind of that core thing that kept me stuck too, that, you know, I didn't feel worthy enough to tell someone how I felt because again, I didn't trust that someone would care. And so as I talk about, or as I heard you say, kind of, you will find yourself staying in that place. If it's not healed, then that is a place that you stay. And it goes back to um, behind bars, not guilty. You stay there because I don't know how to get out. And, and recidivism is a thing. Yes. Right. So some people get out and they go right back. Safe. I don't know how to function out here. I don't. It's just, I'm going back. Right. And so I think that even in this situation, sometimes, sometimes you do take a risk and you go hey, this is what happened. And then if it's mishandled, you go back, you lock yourself up again because you just realize once again that it's not safe. And so that kind of confirms that I need to be behind these bars and maybe I am truly guilty. What's your thoughts about that? No, I agree, I, and and I think that the, the one of the one of the major things to recognize is that while the trauma is happening, that's that's when you are placed behind bars. Okay, <laughs> so a lot it's, it's not that oh it's over with now and I moved on with my life and now I put myself in this. No, no, no. You that's where the bars started at, and what you learn if if you're if you're not one of the one of the ones that 
is very vocal and immediately runs and tells someone, you learn how to operate behind bars. And so by the time that the by the time it's done, by the time the molestation is over with, and it's been two or three years since it's happened, it, it doesn't matter. You've learned how to operate, which means I've accepted the guilty verdict. And when I accept the guilty verdict, I just eat, I take the three meals a day and I eat them and I take that little time in the yard every day. And yeah, yeah. I, I've learned it. I, and and it, and it became a, a way so that I could cope every day. I could make it every day because I know how to make it back here. So now why go out here and kick up all this dust and dirt? You know how to make it behind bars. You're good. You're all right. It's okay. And it's really not okay. Yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. Let, let me ask you then, because I think I think you're about to get into this other question that I had. Um, because yes, we, we both, you know, have these experiences from very, very uh, being very, very young people. But then we grow up, and then we get into relationships, right? And so I want to know from you because you you're saying, and I think it's true, you, you know, for me too, that you do learn how. To, to kind of be behind bars. Like you learn how to keep yourself locked up. You learn how to um, try to even make a full life locked up. <laughs> right? And now I want to invite someone into this world of mine where I'm locked up. There's a huge part of me that you won't get. Yes. You're yeah. not going to yeah. get it. And so yeah. I, I want to hear from you about what what does this look like in relationships? So so think about that. When somebody is locked up, guilty or not guilty, and they are in a relationship, that person still has access to them. It's just very limited access. Mm-hmm. They go visit them behind bars. But they know that person's locked up. They know they plan to go to the jail and visit when with this other when you haven't had that conversation and you try to have a relationship they're still with you they're still visiting you every day in that relationship but they're visiting you behind bars but Mm. the difference is they don't know they're coming to a jail to see you they Mm. think well everything looks great everything's wonderful everything is but if you haven't had a conversation with them you know they're visiting you at the jailhouse (laughs) but they don't know that and so then they try to do certain things, have certain access to you. And they're like, well, what's the problem? I don't see the, because they don't see the bars. You don't know it though. <laughs> Let me break that part down. So, so, so you're saying that, you know, as the person that's behind bars, that you are locked up. There you go. The person know that this, this person you're in relationship with, they come to you knowing that, you're, you you are, would you say, behind bars? They, they know that there's a part of you that they don't have access to, uh, but they keep coming anyway? Is that is that what you're saying? Not, 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 well, in, in the physical, like if, if, if I was with a person and that person mm-hmm. went to jail, I know what I know that what I'm getting myself into. I got to go visit them every day in jail or every week in okay. jail, send money, all that. I know it. So mentally, I prepare myself for that because I can handle the what the relationship's going to be like. But when you are not uh, letting people know your background, your history, what your traumas, mm-hmm. what's happened with you, then you know you're behind bars. But every day they come visit you, they don't think they're coming to a jail. They think they're just coming to see you out mm-hmm. in the open. 
because that's what we portray. That's our Instagram post. I'm free. I'm open. I'm come on. I'm single. Wow. I'm single. Ready to mingle. Are you though? And, and so I, every time I get close to you, every, and that's yeah. what I was about to say. So yeah. that's the part right there. Yeah. So, so they can't I break they that can't down. I, exactly. I, I would break that down and say that uh, you know that you're here. But what they know is that um, I, I come to see this person, right? I'm going to come see this person. And anytime I try to touch them, anytime I try to get close to them, anytime I try to even have certain type of conversations, I notice that I can't touch them. I, I can't get close enough to them. They're keeping me away. Now, again, you are the person that, that knows that you're locked up. But the mm -hmm. person that you're in the relationship has no idea that you're locked up. But they do know that every time I try to get closer, something happens. Now, yeah. in a relationship, um, that can be quite devastating. Because I'll tell you why. The person that's coming to see you, right, when they get there... And you're protecting yourself. Like, you know, we're behind the bars protecting ourselves. But the other person on the other side has no clue because like you said, they hadn't, they hadn't said anything. They hadn't. So this other person is experiencing your bars your, yes. for yourself as, well, then maybe something's wrong with me. There you go. Maybe something's wrong because this, this person is not allowing me to get close, but they have no idea that you're locked up, right? And they have no idea that you're walking this, this pain. They have no idea that a lot of the things that you're doing uh, is overcompensating, like you were talking yes. about. So all these behaviors, they know that they're there, but we've never really talked about it. So this person doesn't know, but what's happening is I'm experiencing something with this person. They're, they're keeping me shut out. And so now you got two people in a relationship that really want to be together. But you got the trauma sitting right there in the midst of them. That's it. And nobody maybe and nobody and nobody's talking about. It, right. We're feeling all of this stuff, right? Yeah. For me and let's say right there for, for me and you got two people, you got him behind bars because He's convinced he's guilty because if I say that I'm not guilty, there's going to be a lot of responsibility. I got to start talking to people. I got to talk to myself. I got to let her know. So I'm just going to stay locked up and I'm not going to let people touch me. And then she's on the other side trying to figure out what's happening. What do women need to know when men, if we're in this experience with you, what do we need to know as women if we're feeling that? We're, we're, we're feeling this, this push. And, and maybe let's say he has told, he has said, maybe, you know, one night he's told you a little bit about the molestation, but he's still locked up. He's still, you still have to see him at jail, in, in jail, right? He's not gonna, he's not gonna allow you to get too close. What do we women need to know about situa situations like that? Do we walk away? Do we let him free himself? Uh, what do we do? Well, I, I think to knowing the why, because for me, the relationship that I was in, she was, <laughs> she was like, listen, I'm out. I'm shooting you to deuces because I'm tired of trying to figure you out what's going on with you. And she even told me the day on, on, on this day, 
is a day I'm packing and I'm, yeah, I'm done. And you're struggling with, do I, do I say something? Do I, and I, I ended up um, saying to her, okay, here's what the, like you said, you tiptoe a little bit to figure out, can you even handle this conversation? (laughs) And in that moment, just the sigh of relief from her. And it was like, well, that makes so much sense now. Because it's like all the dots that didn't connect for her. She was like, just you telling me that one thing about your child, that if these, all these dots start coming together. I see this bigger picture. And she said, I'm so sorry. Because had I known that, I wow. wouldn't have pushed you in this area. I wouldn't have tried to handle you like that. I wouldn't have. And again, it's like, oh, so you're, you're, you're supportive. You're going to help me through it. You're going to ask mm-hmm. questions. You're going to, yeah. Because you just assume they're going to be like, what? Oh, no, you know. But yeah, she was like, yeah, that makes so much sense now. Now I want to work on us knowing that I want to backtrack and try to fill in some of these in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Now that I know the trauma that, you know, that it came through. So it, it's just one of those things where I think you have to be, and, 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 and uh, most people, it's not intentional, but they, they're inquisitive. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, as soon as you say, oh, so-and-so passed away, first thing you want to know, well, how they die? What, they, what happened to them? You know, it's just natural for us to dig. And it's like, well, that's kind of rude. We just told you this person passed away. You want to know what happened? What, what, what was they doing? Did they get sick? They had an accident? What, why are you getting into all that? And sometimes that's what happens. When you do finally release it, sometimes I don't want questions right now. I don't want, it was just mm-hmm. enough for me to just tell you what happened. And the moment you start, well, what, well, what happened exactly? And did this happen? Did now you shut them down. Yeah, the little bit of access I was trying to give you, I'm taking it all away. But but, but again, it, that's why we say the longest relationship you will ever be in is the one with you. And so all these other relationships, they suffer because a lot of times you you really do genuinely enjoy this other person. It's just that you haven't done enough legwork on mm-hmm. the relationship with you for you to for you to effectively interact and and you know and lock with this new person that's coming up and they could be a great influence they could walk right beside you and help but they only can help to the extent that you will allow them to so there's a lot of conversation that needs to happen so that you figure out when you do hear it what do you need from me and guess what what i needed from you yesterday may be very different from tomorrow or what i needed a month ago may be very different from six months ago maybe that night i'm very talkative but for the next Three months, I'm not talking that much about because you process all this stuff and you've got to be able to. If I'm telling you this, if I'm telling you this, then I need for you to to listen. So I think those are great points that. There you go. Let's not get into the the details of it. And, you know, let me kind of let you know. And and if I'm not really ready to go there, then maybe it will be a point, right? But but let me lead the way. And you, you just walk with me. Let me lead the way. And I find that. I've, I've had these situations in, in therapy where I've had uh, a couple come in and, um, and the, the female is, is, is kind of the same scenario we were just talking about. You know, she's going, I don't know what's wrong with him, Renee. Yeah, he won't talk to me. He won't, he won't communicate. We're not having sex anymore. I think, I think it's another woman, right? And so then I say, well, I think what we need to do is maybe have individual sessions, Right. And so um, I, I meet with her individually and she's just kind of continuing to let me know that I just I think he's cheating. I don't know what's going on. It's, it's just not something's happening. And then I finally get to him in an individual session. 
right? And 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 if we can make it, and I usually am pretty good about making the the men feel safe enough to have this talk. But I go like, you know, wh- what's happening? Like she she wants answers, and I do too, so I can know how to help you. Um, and then we do take a little bit of a walk, and then we finally maybe there's a bit of silence in the session, right? And then he finally starts to cry a bit. And then these are, these men are 40, you know, 39, 40, 45 years old. This is the first time. Yes. They're only having this conversation for the very first time. And, and then, and he's finally telling me what's happening. And, and he then says, well, what, what do I do from here? I go, if you love her, you're going to have to tell her. And that seems to be the absolute hardest thing to do to turn to his love and say this is what happened to me and I think it and it speaks to uh again this uh behind bars not guilty because I you know I find myself having to say you didn't do anything wrong and and I understand guilt but you don't have a reason to to feel because you didn't do anything wrong but I think it you know we have to take that walk um, just going back to your point to where they can finally say, I'm tired enough. Um, I'm ready to be free. And you're right. I didn't do anything wrong and, I, and I'm not guilty. You know, one of the things that I, when I'm talking to guys too, I try to make sure they understand, especially with like a spouse or a significant other, mm-hmm. you, you do have to make sure that you are fair to them. And being fair to them means that if you're going to start that conversation, you can't expect to be like, well, that's all I'm going to tell you. And and then maybe a year from now, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, Because if that person is really like into you, they're going to naturally be like, you know, maybe I'm not going to give you equal knowledge of what I know about it, but I need to be fair. So if I'm going to open up that, that door and finally be ready to have the conversation, at least be fair enough to say, and I know you got a lot of questions. I know you got, I'm, I'm not ready for all that again, but let's talk again, you know, every month, you know, first of the month, something so that they understand I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a chance to dig a little bit, but we need to go at my pace so that I don't get uncomfortable and I don't. So be fair about that. Cause you know, sometimes you kind of hold now, now they're kind of behind bars cause you drop this bombshell on them and then told them, you don't get to ask me no more questions about it. Well, wait a minute. This is a huge yeah. thing that I know it affects you because of what happened to you. But guess what? It affects me too. Cause I'm in a deep relationship with you. So you do have to be fair about that and you have to be ready to, maybe not in that exact moment to answer all the questions up front, but you do mm-hmm. have to make sure and let them know I have every intention of walking this out. And like, it, it may be therapy. It may be going to a pastor, maybe going to a parent or going to maybe like a support group, just whatever you feel that you can begin to work that out within yourself. And then you can fold in that significant other. But I think a lot of times we do. And because it is your own private moment that you are kind of been hanging on to and all that, and you have to deal with every single day. I get it. Why you feel like, well, I should only be able to give, have to give certain access. And I get it, but mm-hmm. we're not talking about like a, a you know, a, a neighbor or we're talking about a significant other where you're trying to build a life with them. They're not, it's not going to fly well to just be like, yeah, so guess what? This happened, but you can't know no details about it. You know? Right. So I think that's important for us to own up to that. You, you're going to have to 
be with, and you can't say what well, every year on this date we're gonna talk more about. No, that's a huge. Like, listen, I'm not hanging around for that. Uh, but, but, but it, it is. So, and, and, and think about if it were you, and that person, if you hadn't went through your trauma, the other person had gone through it, and they brought that to you. Mm-hmm. How much would it eat you inside every day to know they've given you this little piece, and mm-hmm. you can't do anything? Else. You can't ask no questions. You can't. So you want to find that happy medium where you're not uncomfortable, you're not rushed, you're not forced as the person having had the trauma. But at the same time, you can't just be completely zip lip now because you kind of let the cut out the bag a little bit and you mm-hmm. got to be prepared to walk that, that journey out. And, and which is the reason why most people just don't talk about it at all. Because I know the moment I say it, I'm going to be on the hook for all these follow-up questions and all these follow-up conversations and all the and rather than do that i would i'll just accept the guilty verdict and stay right here but it affects how far you can Mm -hmm. go you know physically you're right there with them but mentally and all that you're all over the place and and one of the one of the the sessions of one of the videos uh was titled buried alive you know if if we bury a a living breathing person alive they're not going to stay alive for long but what you're trying to bury alive are memories. They don't go anywhere. You're trying to mm-hmm. bury feelings. They don't go anywhere. So yeah. all of this stuff that you had to endure because of the trauma that happened in your life, yeah, we bury it. And sometimes you'd be like, I'm good because it's been like three months. It's been mm-hmm. six months. It's been, oh, okay. But guess well, what? Man, One one person overcome exactly. <laughs> it's like, I, yep. it is there, but it, it doesn't seem like it's, it's not bearable now because I've overcompensated. There you go. Still there out you of go. alignment, and you're still very much so in pain. But let, let me say this because I'm about to uh, wrap things up. But I want to do two things. I want to make sure that anyone that wants to get to hear your series, they know where to find you. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted you to speak just directly to um, to our men, to um, men in our community, black men who uh, are sitting home um, listening. And, and, and these, this experience has happened and, and I'm married or maybe not, but I, I'm in relationships and, and I'm finding out that these relationships are, um, challenging for me and, and, and the, starting with the relationship with myself, as you mentioned earlier, um, talk directly to those guys for a moment. And, um, and if you did, uh, what would you say? So I, I think the biggest thing that you want to make sure you're ready for is that you are ready to work. It, it's not a walk in the park, but guess what? The trauma wasn't a walk in the park either. Mm-hmm. It, it was a lot. It, it, it's actually more work to hold on to it than it is to finally just let it go and be free from it. But when you do get out there and you do find your person or your group or your people, whoever it may be, that you can finally say, hey, I need to get something off my chest, be ready for the work that comes after that. Because that's just day one of a journey that you're going to go on. And be willing to do that because every other thing in our life, we're willing to put the work in for all those other pieces. And if anybody in your in your life you want to give the best version of you the best version of you is a free version it's the version where no matter what type of topic or what type of issue or what kind of circumstance it is i'm comfortable enough to open up my mouth and talk to you about it 
That's how you build relationships that, that, that actually endure the test of time. You don't have any secrets. You don't have any, and that's not always easy to do, but be ready for the work. There's a lot of work that comes in with that. And we, I, I get it. Most of the time, what we feel is I'm protecting the other person by keeping them away from that horrible, you know, that horrific part of my life. I'm protecting them. No, you're protecting you. And, and I get the reason why I understand that. But we convince ourselves, no, 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 no. I, I don't want them to have to deal with that. I want them to have to handle that. But the last time I checked, it's way easier to carry something with two or three people than mm -hmm. it is to carry it by yourself. The, especially the heavier and the deeper it is. Now, you got to find the right group of folks, you know, to, to help you with it. Right. But two or three sets of arms can pick mm -hmm. that couch up a lot easier and a lot faster and help you kind of deal with it. So I think it's one of those major areas where you're going to get relief. First of all, there's a, there's a huge amount of relief that comes just from opening your mouth and getting that getting it off your chest that there's a huge amount of pressure that comes off but then after that you want to continue so that you don't scare yourself back behind bars you want to continue moving forward what and that looks different for everybody you know if i could say find a pastor find a therapist find an aunt find a you know it may be the significant other that you finally told but figure out what that looks like figure out what you need to continue the process because when you when you actually open your mouth you're starting a process i'm not starting a one-time conversation you're starting a process and once you start that process you got to stay committed to it and you got to work it in order for you to see that that freedom that you want and what's so freeing for me like where I am now is you want to do things like this. You want to find people that you can help or what happened with you. Let's talk about it. Let's do. So I, I love that, that on the journey where you start from so afraid to even open your mouth to who else can I help with this? Who else can I tell about it? Who else can I? Cause it's not a badge of shame. You know, I told a friend of mine that had gone through molestation. I told her, uh, she was like, I, I'm, I'm just, I just keep losing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What you keep doing is you keep winning. Yeah. The evidence, uh, the evidence is that every day you're right back up on your feet. You're still, yeah, you got all the stuff that you're working through, but that's evidence that you clearly keep winning. The thing that's trying to take you out mentally or you know emotionally, or it's it's not you're you're not losing, you're winning. Mm -hmm. But your perspective shows well, it keeps attacking me every day, so I'm just keep losing. No, 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 no. You're a winner, and you keep moving like a winner. You know, in spite of what situations don't look like, it's not going to feel good every day. It's not going to go well every day, but mm -hmm. you still put your best foot and your best for, uh, 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 the best foot forward, put your best effort forward, and you rely on your team. When you build your group of people, rely on them. Let them know. It's going to be some days I need to call you. And do that. Call them. And mm -hmm. when they call you, be honest with them. Wasn't a good week this week. Wasn't a good day today. Because mm -hmm. the more you talk about it, believe it or not, the more you want to talk about it. The less you talk about it, the less you want to talk about it. So you decide which way your pendulum is going to swing. Are you going to get to the spot where I just stay over here on the soft side, the quiet side, or go over here on the harder side where I got to do all the talking. But I'm telling you, there's such great and rich reward when you finally start that process. I know it's a scary step. And so people like Renee, myself, find us. We'll be more than happy to help you get started with that. And we go at your pace. We're not mm -hmm. trying to rush you and say, you got to have this done in the next 12 months. Go at your pace, but you got to at least be willing to admit this was not my fault. And if I feel mm -hmm. like it was, let me talk to somebody that I can get all this out of my system and we can start this process together.
Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's no longer a you have to do it. It's a let's do it. That's you and let's I. Yeah, let's work on it. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. Um, for those that may say I need to get in contact with Marlon or or um, I need I need to get in contact with Marlon for someone else, um, how do they get in contact with you? So you, um, on all, all of the well, the Melissa Man series is in a uh, item that I do called daily deposits. And Daily Deposits is on Facebook, it's on Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, TikTok, what else? It's on, it's on five different ones. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I'm missing Twitter, Twitter. and YouTube. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, Twitter okay. and YouTube. So, and you can just search for official Daily Deposits, or you can just do hashtag official Daily Deposits, and it'll pop right up. Uh, you can email me as well. It's just my first and last name, Marlon May at Hotmail, M-A-R-L-O-N-M-A-Y. And I respond there. And I'm, I was funny you mentioned that because a lot of people, they're not coming for themselves. They, they send stuff and be like, well, I got a friend that needs, you, you know, so, but, but I like that. And I'm like, well, if your friend wants to have the conversation, mm -hmm. have them reach out because I'm glad you're concerned about them. But guess what? Yeah. It's their conversation. This is their walk. They, they yeah. have so, to do this. Yeah. But I really listen. We'll have to do this again because I feel like <laughs> much that we, you know, hadn't really gotten to. But uh, I really do appreciate you coming on today and being so willing to be so candid and and just open about your own personal experience. So please, I want to make sure um, we can um, get back together and do something quite similar because it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, behind bars, not guilty. <laughs> Wow, this was amazing. Thank you again, Marlon May. I am Renee Greer, psychotherapist in Texas. Uh, thank you guys for checking in with us and we'll see you next time. Have a great one.